Hello there. I'm Colleen. I'm Anders. And I'm Daniel. We're three nerds that met through our love of science fiction and fantasy storytelling. Of course, one of our favorites is George Lucas's signature achievement, Star Wars. And if there's one thing the internet definitely doesn't have enough of, it's nerds talking about Star Wars. So here we are with yet another Star Wars podcast, where each week we discuss one of the films in the current Star Wars canon. From the sands of Tatooine to the levels of Coruscant, we cover it all. Yet another Star Wars podcast is available wherever you get your podcast and is part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Do you like beer? Do you like podcasts? Do you like beer podcasts? Then check out Crackin' One Open, a podcast about brews, news, and pop culture reviews. Every week we crack open a new craft beer from breweries around the country. And sometimes the world. We'll talk about how it was made, what's in it, the history of the brew, and the brewery. Then we'll give our tasting notes, and while we're finishing up, we'll talk about some of the latest goings-on in the world of pop culture. So check out Crackin' When Open with Mike and Elise, part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. That was the best acting I've ever seen in my whole life. Thank you. Well, that's it. Tenth episode. We're canceled. <laughs> that's it. We're over. I'm John. I'm Lloyd. And we were on the QT. We were. You know what, though? I'm fighting this. We're, we got one episode left, Lloyd. Let's do this. Let's do it Let's right now. Let's do Come this on. right now. Uh, now, before we talk about what is, I guess, in the end, the ninth Tarantino film. Yeah, right. We have to admit it. We have to admit it. There's finally. nine films. Nine films. Kill Bill's one, I guess. This is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Last guest. Okay. Coup de Gras, The Silver Fox, The Officer, Sheriff, Mike Simonetta from Connecticut Cult Classics as well. Bounty Hunter. Great to be back. Excited it's this movie, not yeah. Death Proof. Yeah. Well, <laughs> again, I picked these randomly. That's right. And when I contacted you, were you psyched about this? Oh, I was super psyched about it. Super psyched. So we're here to talk uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, your fandom with Tarantino. Where are you at with that? Big fan. Um, you know, as as everybody, you gotta love the the dialogue scenes, uh, all all the quirky conversations throughout. I think as as you come to this, the culmination that you just see him growing as a movie maker. You know, when you first started in Reservoir Dogs, it's a great movie, but the cinematography not particularly interesting. Now you know he's almost not boring, but at an art house level. And it's just the cinematography after the hateful eight. And then this, it's just beautiful to look at as well as interesting and, and quirky all the way around. Right. All right. All right. That's, that's good. And you're a big cinephile. You love movies. You're a big movie guy. As we've talked about, you, you love this time period. This movie takes place in right. 1969. Yeah. It's uh, I mean, it's so interesting. And, you know, I don't think anybody could deny, even if you didn't love the movie, the recreation of, of 1969 here is just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, Flawless. Back old memories and, for me. you know, to tie it in with the cinematography, he does not, you know, usually when you go uh, for classic uh, movies, they go really tight because they can't afford to, you know, do a whole highway of of old cars and, and redo, you know, an entire strip of buildings or whatever. But he's doing, 
you know, the whole, the whole, uh, you know, fuse all the way down the highway, uh, all up and down the block, et cetera. It's, it's just amazing. And, and with no or little, I don't know if it was no or little CGI. There's CGI, but it's, it's only when they, you know, only when they had to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's CGI in the great escape. Well, okay. yeah, for sure. <laughs> that stuff, yes. Yeah, yeah. That's no, different. but like some of um, the highway scene, he shut down yeah, a right. section of the yeah. uh, of yeah. the LA freeway. Yeah, but the uh, the uh, drive-in, like the whole entrance to the drive-in, is a, a miniature, a model. Yeah. yeah, and then they you know CGI'd it like together, d- him driving in and all that. But I, I mean, they did amazing things. I, I know you probably guys watched the behind the scenes, but like they bought an abandoned Taco Bell and re- reconstructed it just to show it turning on for, you know, 20 <laughs> yeah, seconds, 20 seconds or, yeah. you know, other, th- you know, and they did a lot of that with the, like the cinema drone and all these other classic buildings. So, uh, this came out, this is the, obviously the newest one, July 26th of 2019. Uh, just as a little note, this is the only one I had never seen kind of prior to starting on the QT. I've watched this twice in the last two months. My yeah, first, you've had it for like two years. My first viewing was April. Shame on you. Yeah, I, I, I understand that. I understand that this was filmed June 18th, 2018 to November 1st of 2018. And uh, filming locations, let's just put it this way, it's all over Los Angeles, California. Uh, It it, kind of gets a little bit too much into it. Started as a novel. Originally, he decided he was going to write a book. Kind of after the Hateful Eight leak and everything, he thought he would start this as a novel. He also kind of morphed it into a uh, the the scene in the beginning where Rick Dalton meets uh, Marvin Schwartz was going to be a one-act play. So he was playing with different things to do before he turned this into an actual feature film. Um, Manster, I guess the best way to get right into this, because we're going to weave in and out of so much conversation is why don't we get into, do you have a bumper sticker first of all for this one? Yeah. Well, basically it's a TV star and his longtime stunt double making their way through the changing Hollywood industry. Heavily influenced by Burt Reynolds and Hal Needham, who were a star and stunt double and Hal Needham ended up becoming the director of Smoking and the Bandit. And also, he doesn't say who it is, but Tarantino says a actor he worked with at some point who had this kind of like tag along stunt double buddy right. that he kind of coerced him into giving, you know, like like getting him on, which is something we see in this as well. There, there are so many, and I'll get into some, there are so many real life interwoven connections in this movie. Yeah. Uh, you could spend two hours just talking about those. Tarantino himself said that, when he wrote this script and he started filming, he went to two people mainly to get their opinions on whether he was getting it right. One of them was Burt Reynolds, who was still alive at the time and was supposed to play a character in this yeah. movie that he passed away and it was recast. We'll talk about that in a second. The other person who is also in this movie was Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell grew up in Hollywood in the 60s. He was a child star. His father was a bit actor and, and kind of a character actor and stuff. And he would ask both of them. And, and in the features on the blu-ray there's a part where they talk to kurt russell about it and he's like he he nailed it he absolutely nailed it. this is the hollywood of my memory yeah and not to mention tarantino is from you know the hollywood area yeah, yeah, yeah. he grew up in the 60s so this is also called from his memory let's talk about the cast of this giant fucking cast in this movie all right i'm going to start with the fictional characters that are in rick dalton's crew all right so first you have leonardo dicaprio as rick dalton Basically, he's an actor who starred in the fictitious uh, Western series Bounty Law, uh, which itself is based on a real series, Wanted Dead or Alive, uh, with Steve McQueen. And basically, you know, he's got a relationship with uh, Booth, Cliff Booth, based on, like you said, Burt Reynolds and Hal Needham. 
So then we have Brad Pitt as Cliff as Cliff Booth, uh, Dalton's stunt double and best friend. So his character and the performance were based on a number of actual stuntmen in Hollywood uh, and a lot of other characters. Cliff's wife in the movie, Billy, and her ambiguous death, I don't know if you know this, is based on Natalie Wood's death. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Uh, then we have Al Pacino as Marvin Schwartz. Marvin Nash. Not Schwartz. <laughs> Not Schwartz. Yeah, it's like Schwartz, right? Schwartz. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, that's just uh, his agent, and it was written specifically for Pacino. Yeah, he wanted to work with Pacino. Yep. And they don't show her, but in the beginning of the movie, he says he watched a couple of Rick Dalton movies with his wife. Yes. His wife is played by Brenda Vaccaro, but she's never shown in the movie. But she's credited as, uh, I can't recall, I think he, he gives her, he says her name in the movie, and it's Brenda Vaccaro, the yep. actress, but she's never actually shown in the movie. Nice. Uh, so then you have Cliff's pit bull, Brandy, played by uh, three different dogs, Sayuri, Cerberus, and Serenius, or Serenus. Yeah, three. Di- and the last one in the last final scene, uh, that was the male, more aggressive dog of yeah. the three. Aggression is, is for sure. Yes, yeah. Uh, we have Michael Madsen as the sheriff on Bounty Law. Mike, do you know what is interesting about this Madsen performance in a Tarantino movie? I do. All right, go ahead. I don't. What, what's different? You're saying something's different? Yeah. Something's different about this one Madsen role. Out of the, I mean, five he's been in. He does not die. Doesn't die. Oh, yes. Yeah, okay. He doesn't die. Now, he plays a character in a, in a show, but he doesn't die there. He so doesn't die. Correct. Right. Uh, then we have Kurt Russell as Randy Lloyd, uh, and he also is the narrator in the narration parts, and Zoe Bell as Janet Lloyd, his wife. And you get a nice little death-proof callback there. Because Kurt Russell played stuntman uh, Mike stuntman, and yep. Zoe Bell played Zoe. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So there's a lot of, and bounty hunters, that's another theme. So yes. You had a bounty hunter from Django. You have a bounty hunter from J- uh, Hateful Eight. And you could really consider Hans Landa sort of a bounty hunter himself. He is. He is, yep. yeah. Yeah. So like four bounty hunters in a row. All right. So that's it for that crew. Uh, so now I'll get into the Sharon Tate crew, uh, historical characters. Uh, Margot Robbie as Sharon Tate. Uh, an actress and model who lived with Polanski at the time, I guess. Was she married, or is that part of what was kind of interwoven with reality? Uh, I believe they were married to each other. I know yes. they were yeah. married, but yes. I don't know if they were married. Yeah, I guess. Oh, yes, yeah, they were okay. married at the time. Yeah, they were. Right. Uh, and in real life, she was murdered uh, by the members of that Manson cult on August 9th, 1969. Yeah, I think uh, it's important for us to point out right yes. off the bat, if you've never seen this, this is... Much like Inglorious Bastards, this is uh, Tarantino's other big revisionist history movie. Yes, very revisionist. And I want to talk about like that. We'll we'll get there, but I want to talk about that later. Yeah, yeah. She was eight and a half months pregnant when yeah. she was killed. Yeah. Uh, you have Emil Hirsch as Jay Sebring. Uh, basically, he's a celebrity hairstylist, uh, Tate's friend, ex-boyfriend, and uh, friend of Bruce Lee, and Steve McQueen, that whole crew. You know, one of the craziest things was as I was kind of researching. The real Tate LaBianca murders that happened on that night. Yeah. Jay Sebring, super interesting guy. Yeah, he is. He first of all, he was like like the first celebrity hairstylist. Yeah. When yep. other guys were charging two dollars for haircuts, he was charging fifty dollars. Frank Frank Sinatra used to fly him out right. every three weeks to cut his hair. He started a bunch of schools before he passed away. Yep. that are still teaching his methods his today. Styles, yeah, he invented styles for men that never existed before. And here's the other crazy part: is he was friends with Bruce Lee, yep. and introduced Bruce Lee to people in Hollywood 
so he kind of had a big part in getting his his uh, his Bruce Lee start in Hollywood. Mm. Yeah, it's crazy, right? Yeah, he's there's even a full length uh, documentary, feature length documentary about him called JC Bring Cutting to the Truth. He guest starred in an episode of the '66 Batman series, uh, like a year before he died, yeah. and he played a character named Jay Oceanbring. <laughs> He he basically played himself, but instead of Seabring, they called him Oceanbring. That's funny. That's hilarious. All right. uh, Rafael Zawarucha as Roman Polanski. Not a very big part, but he was the director of Rosemary's Baby and Fearless Vampire Killers. Do you think, Mike, one of the best lines in the movie is when when, uh, they're at the Playboy Mansion and Steve McQueen, yeah, Steve McQueen, macho Steve McQueen, obviously has a thing for Sharon Tate, Mm -hmm. and he's he's pointing out to like the, the blonde next to him, she used to date that guy, yep. right? And then she left that guy for that guy. Now, you can't see this, but Jay Sebring and Roman Polanski are these two kind of like, and the girl Slight, says it. Yeah. She goes, you know, she likes guys that look like 12-year-olds. And <laughs> what, what, is, what does he say? I, no, I don't have he a chance. He says, I never had a chance. I never yeah. had a chance. Never <laughs> had a chance. Yeah. yeah. That was a good line. Uh, so then next, we're moving on. Damian Lewis as Steve McQueen. Uh, like you said, actor, friend of uh, all these people. He declined an invitation to Tate's house on the night of the murders. He is not the only famous person that didn't go. You know another one? Who? Who was good friends with Jay... So Sharon Tate invited, I guess, Steve McQueen over. Quincy Jones was invited by Jay Sebring. I did not know that. And did not go. There was multiple people that could have been there that night. Jeez. Wow. Yeah. And and just for history's sake, because we're going to get into the, into the movie, nobody survived. Right. Right? There was four people murdered that night. Yep. Murdered. Nobody got away. Yep. So you've got to assume if there's two more people there, they probably wouldn't have gotten away either. Yeah. And uh, Steve McQueen's name was on the uh, hit list. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Uh, then you have Mike Moe as Bruce Lee. I don't know Mike Moe. Do you guys know anything about him? There's I'd... so many people in this movie. I don't know. No, he was good, though. Yeah, was he good, was great. Yeah, that was, some, that was a really good scene. This is a big controversy scene, Mike. How do you feel about the treatment of Bruce uh, Lee? I, I've, been, I've been reading about that and his daughter getting very upset. I, I think it's fine because... We have an entire historical movie, you know, and they're playing with history all the way throughout. And right. I think it was yeah. fine. And you know what? There, I think there's a little bit of a difference because they're, I think people are trying to twist it into, you know, hate against an Asian person. Like like we're having, which 100% for real, and it's awful that it happened after COVID. But Bruce Lee is, is Bruce Lee. He's huge. He's an icon, right. you know. There's there's a million novels and and movies where you know icons there. I mean, Steve McQueen didn't actually say the things he says here. You know, right? Are we mad that Steve McQueen is smoking a joint and you know discussing Roman Polanski's life or whatever? Like, no, I think it was perfectly fine. I think it was fun. You know, I think it was fun. I think we exactly look, it was fun. You got to look at this movie. It, it's and a movie, not just that, but like I I didn't think about it till this time when I watched it. But when it ends, it ends with the title, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. This is a fairy tale. Yeah, of course. This is a fairy tale taking real-life characters, not real-life characters, mixing them together, and kind of being hyper-realistic about it. Right. Right? Yeah, the Bruce Lee thing, and he was supposedly really known for fucking around stuntmen. Whether that's true or not, that's what a lot of stuntmen have come out and said. Yeah. That Bruce Lee, you know, he didn't have a problem with knocking your fucking teeth out. You know, so right. yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things Lethal here. Lethal weapons, it's two hands. You know the uh, <laughs> it's a great line. Yeah, Br- you know Bruce uh, Bruce Dern's character. You know they got taken. We know he got taken advantage of by the the uh, Manson family entirely, but it it's not a good 
paint of him, but he was a victim. But right. you know, it's it's life. It's yeah. It's the, I guess two of the biggest problems people have with this movie are one, the a lot of people call out the Bruce Lee stuff. Kareem Abdul Jabbar, who was friends with Bruce Lee, called this movie out and saying it was, you know, that it was kind of racist to do that. And the other thing that a lot of people, I guess, I didn't realize this till I read it, was that in the movie, even though the Manson family are murderers, they're repeatedly referred to as hippies. Yeah, they hippies. completely kind of skip the white supremacy aspect of it, which was a large part of it. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I mean, <sighs> but so so here's the difference, though. The white you wouldn't know the white supremacy part unless the family was talking. You right. know, because that was Charlie. We well, those who know serial killers, and Charlie, yes, didn't officially kill somebody, but you know that was part of his insane plan. You know, a race war and all that. That doesn't come into play. And, you know, and, and that's also a running joke, you know, that that uh, uh, they Rick Dalton hates hippies. Right, right, right. You know, I mean, he runs all the way through, even yeah. when uh, he gets the costume and he's like, oh. yeah, he's like <laughs> I wanted you to look like a hippie. And he's like, oh, I don't know. But uh, so, y- y- I mean, how much do you want to go into the Manson family? I mean, right. we're, we're following we have- Rick Dalton, Cliff Booth. There are. Are, are weave throughout, you know, if the only question I would have with this, and, and I'm fine with it because I, you know, I think it's fine. The Sharon Tate kind of jaunt is the one piece I think that's weird about this movie. Cause we don't, we follow uh, Rick and Cliff really the whole time. Yeah. But then we go watch Sharon in, in the movie theater. Yeah. Go get a book and then go to the movie theater. And I like, I like, I'm perfectly fine with it, but that's the one time. And you know, she picks up a hitchhiker. All of that's just, you know, I know he's. You were getting to know Sharon Tate, right? Right. right. But it's, you know, it's superfluous. Also, if you don't know how this movie ends, you know, if you're if you're going into this movie blind, you're like, we're following her because this is going to end with her getting murdered. Yeah, it's not going to end good for her. It's not going to end well for her. So well, I, I mean, you got to know that if you're going in, because if you don't, then you don't even know who this is. Well, but that's what I'm saying is, is I I think they want in the movie world to have you like kind of like get to know. I mean, because honestly, you can't not like her. No, she's fucking first of all margot robbia i mean let's not just go to the physical but she's gorgeous right she's also the way she plays sharon tate whether or not sharon tate was truly this way she's this is a dumb word but she's like effervescent she's like mm-hmm. always dancing and happy and yep like you know she seems like the nicest person that scene where she goes to the theater and you know tells them like you know can i it, can innocently I, can you i know, get in and see yeah. this like because i'm in the movie yeah. and she and has the, to convince and them then tarantino yeah. has to show us his, his, her, her dirty ass feet we see her dirty feet oh yeah which which we'll was a, which was a truism <laughs> uh sharon tate supposedly walked around barefoot all the time and that was uh that sharon now getting into the ending of this movie real quick sharon tate's sister after the initial i guess disagreement of what to do with this she gave them full like full go ahead and do this um, Margot Robbie wears some of Sharon Tate's uh, jewelry in this movie. Oh wow! Yeah, the and, real stuff. Huh? Yeah, and she also gave her an insight, and one of them was that she was her feet were always dirty. She was barefoot. Okay. Yeah. Well, the the family hated that other one, the ghost of Sharon Tate. I think it was. Or... I've never heard of it. Yeah, there's there's another movie where they follow Sharon Tate. I mean, nowhere near as good as crap, really. But uh, and and she has like ghostly um, visions that she's going to get murdered or whatever. Oh. And they oh, we don't need that. And that you know that was only a couple of years after this, and it was a big you know the family of course hated that crap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, the last one I have here uh, in that crew was Rumor Willis as Joanna Pettit. Yeah, uh, I re- she was an actress. 
Yeah, I read that she was in this, and I couldn't figure yeah. out who she was. And I think there's so many people I, I couldn't even pick out. She's everybody. the I think she's the pregnant friend that comes over at the end. Okay, and she brings her baby, and it's right before everything starts at the end. All right, gotcha. All right, the next crew is historical characters uh, from the Lancer TV show, uh, and, and I'm going to start with a fictional. Character. So Bounty Law. <laughs> Is a fake TV show, yeah, based on a real TV show. Yeah, Lancer is a real TV it's show. A real TV it show. was a real TV show. Yeah, right. And there's some interesting connections with all these. Um, but the first one I'm going to say, she is not a historical character. She's fictional, just for the movie. Uh, the little girl Julia Butters as Trudy Fraser, Mirabelle. Ah, <laughs> uh, boy, that was she wait, was great. Wait, no, that the that's an actual actress. No. Trudy Frazier is not. She's a composite of another actual actress. I was reading that today. It's not. It, she's based on somebody, but that's right. not the but real the one. The actual person in the movie oh, okay. is not yeah. a real character. Correct. Not a, okay. All right. So she's the precocious child actor, basically, who portrays, yeah, like you said, Mirabella on Lancer. Um, she doesn't eat lunch when she's about to shoot. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. She uh, <laughs> makes her feel too sluggish. And her characterization was inspired by Jodie Foster. Uh, an actual character from the series portrayed by Eve Plum. This is getting really weird. Yeah, there's a lot of yeah. this going on. Yeah. yeah. So then we have Timothy Oliphant as James Stacy, uh, an actor who starred on the TV show Lancer. Uh, and he's last shown in the film uh, leaving on a motorcycle. That harkens back to the fact that he was actually killed in a motorcycle accident. No, he wasn't killed. Him in 1973. Oh, I'm sorry. All right. I his, said that wrong. His girlfriend and him were going somewhere in the Hollywood Hills. They got hit by a car. Yeah. She died. He lost his left arm and leg. His arm and leg. Right. He continued to act for years. And people were, because he was so well liked in the Hollywood community, they would give him roles that were geared towards uh, an actor with yep. that handicap. Yeah. Yeah. There's just so much here. I'm, I just read my notes wrong. No, no. It's fine. Um, and his ex-wife was uh, Connie Stevens. Yes. Now, I have to say, in all the times I've ever seen Timothy Oliphant, he looks so more ordinary here than ever before, just because of his kind of like greasy, yeah, straight, he, flat he's hair. He's my man crush. Yeah. And in this, he's he's not remarkable. Exactly. It, he seems like he lost some weight. Yeah. Yeah, maybe that too. Yeah. But it's great to have him in a Tarantino movie. Oh, no, he's yeah. great. He's a great actor. He, I love that guy. He's a great actor. Yep. Uh, then you have Luke Perry as Wayne Maunder. Uh, basically another actor uh, from Lancer. Now, Luke Perry, unfortunately, died during the film. No, I got that wrong, right? Uh, no, he, I think he died after. He died after, but it was his last movie. Yeah. So, I'm sorry, Wayne Maunder died during the filming of this movie. Okay. Uh, Luke Perry portrays him, and he died four months later of a stroke. Yeah. And that's it's real sad, too. And the thing with Luke Perry being in this movie is that Luke Perry is one of those actors that, you know, People have a stigma about him because he was like he was Dylan and two, you know, in Beverly Hills Nine Hundred Two and Oh. Yeah, but, but he's, he's the kind of actor, actor. He's the kind of actor that Tarantino does a great job of of bringing back out. Right. And one of the most impressive things that I read about this was that Leonardo DiCaprio was starstruck around him. Oh, because really? Because he because when he was a kid, Perry was like the up and coming guy. Really. And okay. he, he said that he felt DiCaprio said that he felt some of his hardest scenes to do were the scenes with Perry. Because he actually, he felt like that was somebody from his childhood that he looked up to. Huh. Yeah, well, he treats him like shit. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. All right. So, moving on to historical characters from the Charles Manson crew. Uh, so, Margaret Qualley as Pussycat. Pussycat. She'll suck your dick while you're driving, by the uh, way. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you just got to see the ID first. I love that scene. 
I don't know what else you might know her from, but to me, she's the girl from The Leftovers. Yeah, I've never, I've never really seen her before. Really great TV show on HBO. I've not seen it. Uh, then you have uh, Damon Harriman as Charlie. Now, he was briefly in this movie, but he was fantastic in Mindhunter. As Charles he also as Charles played Manson. Charles yes. Manson. Talk about getting uh, pigeonholed, right? Yeah, right. He's also, he's also great. Uh, talking about Timothy Oliphant, he played Dewey Crow on Justified. He was... Uh, he was this recurring character through all the seasons of Justified. Did you watch Justified? I watched the first few. I, I okay. got tired and I, I enjoy that. He was he was like this hillbilly, like uh, criminal. Yeah, I haven't seen that one. He's yet. an Australian actor. He's, okay. he's pretty good. Uh, Dakota Fanning as Squeaky. Uh, she's the lady sleeping with with Spawn. Yeah, and originally intended to be uh, Jennifer Lawrence, but she uh, she didn't get the role or she didn't take the role. She was offered it and then w- didn't do it. Right. Well, it's Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah. Uh, then you have Bruce Dern as George Spahn. Um, he was in Django and Hateful Eight. Yep. And I think I have it further down and how he became uh, part of this role. Uh, Maya Hawke as Flower Child. Uh, she's also Robin from Stranger Things. Look, let me say something right now. Yep. Right? So there's a lot of celebrity actors and actresses that have kids, right? Yep. And there's yep. a lot of them that look just like their parents. There's not one. I, I think I said this on the Stranger Things season three episode, but I hadn't seen her in a couple of years. She sounds exactly like Uma Thurman. Uma. That last scene where she's talking to the rest of the Manson family, mm-hmm. shut your eyes. It's Uma Thurman. And it's Uma Thurman's kid. But like it, she literally has the same voice as her mother. Same. It's like she dubbed her voice. I'll have to check that check out. Check it out. No, I gotta yeah. go back. Check it yeah. out. Yeah. Shut your eyes. It sounds not kind of like, exactly like Uma Thurman. Yeah. Um, then you have Austin Butler as Tex. I don't really know him, but I guess he's apparently a heartthrob type of actor. He, I, I looked him up. I didn't recognize him, but he definitely doesn't look like the greasy scumbag. He's in this thing. Yeah. And Tex is the, uh, like the guy that did the heavy lifting in the actual murders. Oh yeah, like yeah, he, yeah. He, he was a killer. He yeah. was like the killer of pretty much everybody. Mm. And if you it, again, if you go to like the Wikipedia or any of that stuff and read it, it's brutal. And he was not a well, no, nobody was a murderer, I imagine before. No, Tex Tex had he was in prison and he was a bad dude. Yeah, he beforehand. Was, he, okay. Yeah, he was like a problem beforehand. Yeah. yeah, he wasn't like an innocent hippie like the like the others. <laughs> okay, what hippies? Uh, Lena Dunham as Gypsy. Uh, she's the creator of the HBO Girls. Madison Beatty as Katie. Mikey Madison as Sadie. Victoria Pendretti as Lulu. Uh, now, I know her from, uh, she was a uh, Love Quinn on season two of You on Netflix. You no ever clue. see that? No. Nope. That's a cool show. Uh, Sydney Sweeney as Snake. Kansas Bowling as Blue. James Landry Herbert as Clem. And then I've got two that you missed one of the biggest like names, not biggest well, names, but I got two more here. That oh, okay. These are these are real characters, and I got the next two are not really sure if these are real characters. I couldn't find anywhere if they were truly a lot of. The, I, I was reading about this. A lot of these Manson girls are amalgamations of, yeah, of people exactly. put together. Yeah. So Harley Quinn Smith as Froggy. Second movie in a row. I've seen Harley Quinn Smith. That's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Danielle Harris as Angel. Hyper pregnant in this movie. Yeah. Yep. She's super tiny and she's so fucking pregnant in this movie. Yeah. yeah. So, Mike, how would you describe this, man? A day in the life of two guys? I mean... Uh, you know, it's it's the day in the life of a decline of a popular TV actor. And, yeah, and it's And it, exactly. what is it? It's, it's what? 
well, I mean, there, there's a lot of time, but we see pretty much, was it four days? Four days and four then we full skip days. like six yeah, months. There's, and... a, there's a quickie there. But, you know, again, the foreboding, uh, you know, right in the beginning, we, we get told that, uh, you know, through the camera movements that they live on CLO Drive. Um, and then the, you get the date because they're, he's leading up to that. So even if mm-hmm. you didn't know, you right. get the date across the bottom. You know, at the beginning, we see the meeting with uh, Al Pacino. And he, if we didn't know that, that uh, Rick had problems, uh, Pacino just chops him down and mm-hmm. he's got a full breakdown. He's totally broken after he comes out of that meeting. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, that's it, buddy. I'm a has-been. Yeah. <laughs> and I love Cliff's like, don't cry in front of the Mexicans. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you guys, what do you guys think of, I thought this was a really cool kind of feature or at least something that DiCaprio added to, to his performance, the stuttering. Right? Yeah, that was great. It's not, he's not a heavy stutterer, but he stammers and he stutters several. Yeah. And this is a guy who's a professional actor. Did you like that addition to the character? I am super impressed when I, when I went back and thought about it. That So DiCaprio is a really good actor, right? But he's playing a lousy actor. Right. And then at the same time, he has to play a lousy actor trying to act. Yeah. So he's got, you know, there's a lot of levels going on there. So it's, it's, I think it's a really great, it's a really great role. And, you know, something that somebody that has to be sure of themselves would do. You right. Know, because, because he's a, he's a schlub throughout. I mean, even though he's a quote unquote star, mm-hmm. you know, he's clearly a drunk. Uh, you know, he does seem to be on a decline. You had to have eight whiskey sour. <laughs> yeah. You couldn't stop at two. Yes. You had to have eight. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's a great performance. I think it's a great performance. Again, you know, if, if you weren't as sure of yourself as an actor as he is, you would say, I want Cliff's, you know, Cliff's role because, I, you know, I'm, he's a badass and kicks everybody's butt and whatever. But, you know, he DiCaprio just dives in. It's great. Yeah. It's great stuff. Yep. Master, what did you think about a 55-year-old Brad Brad Pitt with a shirt off? I actually have a note on that. In nope. my note, <laughs> I, I actually do. And my note says, 55-year-old Brad Pitt is still dreamy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He kind of <laughs> fell off my radar for a while. I used to I used to love Brad Pitt. Yeah. And then, like, you know, okay, he's still a good-looking guy. But he, there's Cliff Booth. And we're going to get into I'll it. Tell you, when I take my shirt off, no, that, that it ain't there. After, after we talk about the movie and after we rate the movie proper. Yeah. Mike has read the novelization that Tarantino recently put out. And we're going to talk about some of the stuff at the end of the show that ties into the novel to this movie. All right, let's do that. But when you get to the Cliff Booth character, he's just such a fucking cool character. Yeah. Like, you're like, man, I wish I was like Cliff Booth. Now, there's some unsavory stuff going on as well. Like, they're in the movie straight up, there's the complete did he or did he not murder his wife. It's never... Solved in the movie. And they don't really show anything that happens. No, they show nope. you the scenario. And then you just hear a wave yeah. crash. A wave crash. He, he, he's, got a, he's got a harpoon gun pointed at her, but not at her on purpose. Right. He's holding it as in like he's just going to go diving with it. She gets up to bitch at him, and then we cut. But everybody, multiple people... Kurt Russell's character, Kurt Russell's wife's character. Especially um, her. It, yeah. it's, it's, it's a known fact that this guy probably killed his wife. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and and I think I think it was great be, because his wife was a bitch. Yeah. So oh, yeah. so you you got it like well, I can kill that bitch too. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. His wife his wife was rough. That's yeah. Right. I thought about it. Rough. Yeah. Um. So yeah, we're we're get, we're getting to see this this actor on the decline with his buddy, and let's be honest, his buddy needs him. 
right? Oh, because yeah. if he's not they working, they need each other. Yeah, if he yeah. he's he's support, right? Cliff is support for Rick. He's his gopher. He's his handyman. He's all that stuff. But Rick is also Cliff's ticket into staying in that world because he can occasionally do a job with him, right? Right. And their heyday was Rick was the lead of Bounty Law, okay. And now he's in the point of his career where he's just getting these guest starring roles as villains in the the show <laughs> of the week. Explained by Al Pacino. The yes. show of the week. And Al Pacino, Al Pacino wants him to what? Go to Italy for what? Yeah, for make... Italian. He That's wants right. him to do the Italian movies. <laughs> yep. Uh, I want to throw this out there because I just think Oh, and that's great. a good scene with Cliff and him, too. And I don't know. Are you going to read that? No, go ahead. When he says, oh, well, he said I could do Italian movies. And Cliff is like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. Why don't you do that? He says, I don't want to do no fucking Italian movies. <laughs> so uh, so Stephen, uh, I think it's uh, Charlie, is a poster artist. And there's a little moment where they flash all the Italian movies that Rick Dalton did and their posters. And they're all great. I would love like a book yeah, of the yeah, art. Yeah. But here, here's some of the titles of the films that when they do go to Italy... That uh, that Rick does. He does. Uh, let's see. Nebraska Jim. Yep. Operation Dine O Might. Here's my Operation. favorite. Operation. Operation Dine O Might. Directed, directed by, by Antonio Margariti, <laughs> which is a callback to Inglorious Bastards yes. and a real director of spaghetti westerns. Correct. So his name inspired the Inglorious Bastards joke, which came back around in this yeah. one. Yeah. Uh, here's my favorite of the Italian movies he did. Uh, Uccidimi subito Ringo Dieso le Gringo. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> uh, and then he did the Hellfire Texas, Comanche Uprising, uh, and those were all of his. And uh, that guy also did the actual poster art for the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood movie. I loved all the poster art all throughout yeah, this whole it, movie. It's classic. I miss so much the time when people used to paint yeah. actual movies posters. Drew Struzan, right? Oh, like stuff like that. Yeah, yes. Oh, it's great. There's so much. This is a movie that I knew coming into doing this episode was going to either. There was no way. There's no way to capture this movie in an hour and a half conversation. No, 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 no. Nope. There's so much going on here. Um, there's so much happening. I mean, the production design, right? He went to uh, this woman named Barbara Ling. And the reason he went to her, she's from Los Angeles. Now, here's a couple movies on her radar that you could say, hey, look, whether you like the movies or not, the production design is pretty uh, impressive. Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. But the reason he chose her is because she did The Doors. And oh. he felt that the production design in The Doors captured Los Angeles of the 60s very well. There's there's a whole behind-the-scenes thing. Uh, Mike, did you watch that? Where they're I talking did. about how they took four blocks of Hollywood Boulevard and just painstakingly recreated. went through it, recreated yep. it. And that's uh, and they re repainted uh, what the murals on the walls. Yeah. Uh, like I said earlier, they they bought a Taco Bell, redid it, and then you know did that there. They're doing all kinds of signs. They re redid the uh, was it Cinema Dome uh, Theater. Yep. Uh, it's just amazing all the stuff that they they went through and 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 put all that all that back in. That's also one of the few places they have some other CGI uh, because they, they actually take out skyscrapers. Right. Because they, a lot, a lot mm -hmm. of there's a lot of big huge skyscrapers now, and they took those out in the but just in the background though. All but right, it's, yeah. that's totally acceptable. Yeah, yeah. That, that's fine. CGI I, was used, you know, not as a crutch in this; it was used as a right. tool. Yeah. yeah, I wish I had had the time. I I laid that out. I put in my DVD player, uh, and I planned on watching those extras last night. And something happened at home, and I, and I did not have time to do well, it. Well, just at your leisure, yeah. check them out. They're yeah, worth I, it. I will no. like to go back yeah. to that. They're definitely worth it. This movie, I feel like it's weighted. I mean, I'm not complaining about it, 
but there's this total element of like a hang movie, right? You're just immersed in these people's day, right? Yeah. You're watching Rick go to work, okay? But then you get a scene like the scene at the Spawn Ranch. That's like watching oh, something out of a horror just movie. Just filled with tension. Like yeah, the, the well. tension is like at a fucking thousand. So yeah. uh, because we talked about it a few times, we're weaving in <clears throat> this these two fake guys. And, you know, they're in the orbit of the Manson family and they're in the orbit of the Sharon Tate murders, you know. The, right. And and we, we know from the dates and everything that this is going to probably culminate with all that. But we get to see how they kind of intercede with certain things. And there's a whole scene where Brad Pitt's character picks up the hitchhiker, uh, Pussycat, who he's seen three times now. And the third time's a charm. He's going her way. And she says, take me to the Spawn Movie Ranch. Spawn Movie Ranch is somewhere he used to film Bonnie Law. Right. So he wants to go check it out. When he gets there, what does he find? Hippies. Hippies. <laughs> <laughs> he finds a bunch of hippies and, and to a, a World War II vet. Yep. What are hippies? They're a suspect, right? Yep. And, he, and to, again, to... Tarantino's credit and, and art direction, that that's a flawless recreation of that compound. Which burned down in nineteen seventy, I think it was. Yeah, like but, a year after this movie set. Yeah. yeah, but I I you know, I saw the the I've seen pictures of the actual compound. It's flawless. You know, even the trailers and the perfect spot and the house on the hill and the whole thing. Again, you know, this not only, you know, I mentioned earlier he's growing as a cinematographer, but this is where he's really swinging the weight. Where, mm-hmm. you know, now he has the pull of like a Spielberg to be able to afford this. Right. You know, he couldn't have done this probably, you know, even three movies ago. What was the budget on this, Lloyd? Did we did we mention that? Ninety to ninety six million, that's what I could find. That's that's a fuck that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I know that there's no, you know, there's no fucking CGI dinosaurs in this fucking thing. Right. <laughs> there's no spaceships being blown out of the sky, but I mean for for the set design and for to to be able to shut down sections of the highway and have nothing but period cars on the road, you would think that it's got to cost more than that to me at least. Right. Well, he is he knows how to spend every penny. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you think about that too, you know, we've we've discussed this before. You know, you think about Marvel movies and uh, you know other Disney franchises that where everyone's three hundred million, and and the backgrounds are CGI, right. generic, <clears throat> just like a generic city. You wouldn't remember it at all. Right. You know, it's like, where's that extra 200 mil? Yeah. Like, what are you doing? Yes. <laughs> cocaine. <laughs> well, hey. Mo, mo cocaine. <laughs> so we were at the Spot and Ranch and Cliff, uh, you know, he, he's he's very, you know, concerned all of a sudden because he knows that the uh, the guy that owns the Spawn Ranch is, is elderly. Right. Right. And he, he starts to put his nose in there. Hey, I'd like, I'd like to go see, you know, I know I know uh, George Spawn lives in that house over there. I'd like to go see him. And the hippies are all trying to keep him away. And he, it's you, know, crazy. you know, he's on their turf. He's on their turf. He's surrounded by dirty hippies. But we know that even though we've never seen it in the movie, we know he's been surrounded by worse in the past. Yes. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. that this guy's not right. afraid. So he goes in and he goes to check on him. And uh, and who was the original actor supposed to play George Spahn? Uh That was going to be Burt Reynolds. Burt Reynolds. This was Burt Reynolds' last ever movie he was scheduled to be in. His last ever table read he ever did yeah and according to tarantino the night he died he was reading back lines with uh, his assistant on this movie uh there's this there's a little joke in the film where uh someone says that uh that brad pitt's character is too good looking to be a stuntman yep mm-hmm. that was actually burt reynolds uh line oh right brad pitt apparently doesn't like jokes to be made about his looks because you know he feels like it's low-hanging fruit but when tarantino told him that that's something you should include in there. He said, throw it in there, you know, 
Um, so yeah, so Burt Reynolds dies. He can't play him. They get Bruce Dern, who was just recently in Hateful Eight and then uh, a small role in Django Unchained. And he plays this really infirm old guy that's blind in a bedroom. And I'm we, not blind, you're blind. <laughs> yeah, what does he say? John Wilkes yeah. Booth? Like, he, he can't hear. <laughs> yeah. He's blind. Um, he's obviously being taken advantage of by the Manson family. But, I mean, he doesn't seem to mind so much because he gets to watch TV and gets fucked. Gets by, fucked like, by, he gets like, fucked yeah. by Squeaky. young girls. Yeah, by young girls. <laughs> so, I mean, he's he's kind of living his best life for a blind guy who's probably in bed half the day. Yeah. Mike, did you feel the tension in that scene? I did. And, you know, more that we, when you talk about it, you think about it, I'm actually happy it was Bruce Dern. I don't know if... Uh... Because he he kind of melts melts into the role a little bit better, I think, than than uh, uh, Burt Reynolds would have. I think you would recognize Burt Reynolds a little yeah, bit more. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, I agree uh, too. That might take it out. It's like, oh, that's Burt Reynolds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, I mean, look, that was it was really interesting, and and you know, it's it's a different side of of Cliff because Cliff is is just a tough guy. Right. He's always here, and he, you know, you see actual concern for him you know, he's worried he's actually right. worried about the guy you know why you know why are you doing here with these guys and and he's with all these weirdos and, hippies. and he's just not backing down no like that's his mission like that that screen door that's not going to stop me right yeah you know but you know he's surrounded just by people that are you know what the fuck they could do i mean and they're trying to obviously be, i mean they could do a lot of bad shit in, in real life they yeah. did do a lot of bad yeah. shit yeah yeah and and they you know they make it a point to point out that there's a couple of tough guys there they don't say it in the in the movie but in real life the guy clem who stabbed his tire in real life actually murdered the ranch hand on the spawn ranch oh wow he was an outlaw biker <laughs> i don't <laughs> yeah. he was an outlaw biker of some form at that time and he apparently murdered um a stuntman that was like a ranch hand there um, at at one point, and he had gotten away with it. So, you know, in the movie, we see his comeuppance, you know, which yeah. is great. I mean, who? Oh, that who, was that's that, fantastic. That's to fix it, you yeah. know. This now, this is my boss's car. <laughs> like, yeah, just I don't know. I've always liked Brad Pitt. That's so just one point. I, so this guy slashes Brad Pitt's tires as he's getting ready to leave because he's got to get the fuck out of there, right? And, uh, yeah, he can't go anywhere, and he just punches this guy right in the face. He beats the fuck out of him. He goes right down, gets up, punches him again, fix it. He keeps saying fix it every time. I absolutely love that scene, too, because you've got all these, like, even though they're the Manson family, these hippie chicks, and he's getting his ass kicked, and the girl's like, I love you. Like, (laughs) to him. They put their hands to their heart. Right, and they're they're all like, oh, and Pitt is just kicking the fuck out of him. And it's his fucking, he's spitting blood out. Can I at least get a rag? He's like, no, no fix it. Fix it. <laughs> yeah. We see just a lot of other like day-to-day things. Like there's a whole scene where we go and follow Rick Dalton on a day on the set of Lancer. Oh. And that scene's fantastic. Uh, it is. And, and, you know, his interaction with the girls playing into him, you know, coming to the end of his career and, and you know, breaking down. And, and I, I absolutely loved that you in essence are watching Lancer mm-hmm. and then out of nowhere he breaks and he's like, fuck, what's my line? Fuck, fuck, fuck. And then right. you hear the director yelling and everything. And then it goes back and you watch it again. And then you're literally watching the show again until they pull back. And, and now we see that, Oh, it's a set. And you know, there's all stuff. It was, I, I, I love, I love, well I love seeing that bit where like they're, you know, they're cause they're filming the show. And you see, like Timothy Olyphant's got to stop eating the beans uh, and start over again. Yeah, and like, yeah. even though it's he doesn't say anything, it's just watching him try to reverse back to where yeah. he has to be. And Rick and Dalton yells out, "Line, line!" And then the actual <laughs> camera on the show in the movie 
goes back around the table to start over again. It's yep. a setup inside of a movie yep. while you're watching this TV show. And he's well famous, Tarantino, for not allowing his actors to uh, to improvise. Well, do you know that that whole thing where he was flubbing his lines, like Leo came up with that idea. That And that's what I was going to say, was yeah. he doesn't normally let that happen. Django and, uh, Django and Chain. Jamie Foxx was on Howard Stern, and uh, they had asked him around the time Django Chain was out, and he said, does he let you? And he's like, no. He said his one thing is you say my fucking words, you know? Right. You yeah. could add things like in, in your performance, you say my fucking words. But DiCaprio has this idea, like, I'm going to flub my lines. Right. It would be too perfect if we just did it all out. Right. So he, he flubs his lines, but the real scene that was improvised, and the reason it's edited funnily, or at least edited where it's choppy, is because they let him go for a while, is the scene where he goes back in the trailer and fucking freaks the Which fuck out. Which is one of the best scenes in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Where he's yelling himself about the... I love the fact there's this in that scene, he's yelling himself about being a drunk. And he makes the comment about eight whiskey sour. should have stopped at two. He pulls his flask out. He starts to take a drink. And then he realizes he's drinking. Yep. And he fucking throws it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I absolutely fucking love that. Yeah. yeah. I absolutely Classic. love that. DiCaprio is really good in this movie. And he was nervous going into that. Because they decided, well, it's got to come back. Like, I flubbed my lines, but it has to come back on me at some point, and I have to deal with that. So it was, Quentin Tarantino said, well, we're going to do that in the trailer. You're just going to go crazy and figure out. And, and Leo was really, like, just nervous, kind of like um, Michael Madsen was about the dance in Reservoir Dogs. Right. Yeah. So it was like that kind of deal. He goes, don't worry, you'll be fine. Just start going for it, and I'll just kind of, like, yell out little things for you to get mad about. And so that's how it happened, like. Tarantino would just say, "Ah, oh, you, you drank too many whiskey sours," and he ah oh, fucking drank too many whiskey sours. You know, so it was and it came together so well. And I, I love the fact too that like earlier in the movie, like a couple scenes earlier, we get the night before, and he's like in his pool listening to a recording. Oh yeah, of someone reading off the other lines, and he's responding to them. Yes, like you see his process as an actor, and, um, and that recording is amazing because it's like. Spanish, 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 something, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I want to know from you, what are some of the scenes, what are some of the moments of this movie that really stick out to you? Some people complain. I, I, I loved it, but it's background. But there's just such great transitions. Uh, you know, they do it through driving. So everybody's got a convertible, and there's just this great transition through from Hollywood to uh, Rick's shitty trailer in Vinoise. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the... Roman and Sharon getting going over to the Playboy Mansion, right? Which again, you know, if you're of a certain age, you knew that that was the best parties in in Hollywood, and they end up in the grotto where supposedly all the the Playboy uh, or Playgirl and Playboy it, people had sex with all the, the yeah. famous stars and et cetera. And it's just it, it's just so flawless with the you know the camera movement of following them in the cars. He's got, again, because he's nailing 1969, we're listening to the radio, and it's constant. Like, One of the best parts. Uh, you know, he, there's great songs, but there's also uh, all these ads for classic uh, uh, shows and, and classic movies. and The Illustrated Man. Yes. Mm. Yeah. And, and it's obviously, it's just, this is just Tarantino's love coming through. I guess the music supervisor went through like 26 hours or 15 hours of uh, whatever the big station was, the AM station in LA at the time. Yep. And just took and culled all these ads and all these other things and put them together. And there's like, if you know the time period, because if you listen, there's like news bits, like when they leave the restaurant in the beginning where they have the, um, 
the meeting with Schwartz. Yeah, with Schwartz. You hear them talking about Sirhan Sirhan. Yep. Which, you know, obviously Robert Kennedy assassination. You hear a few different things throughout the whole thing. Yep. Yeah. It's it it's just so well done. And and you know, again, to go back to cinematography, everything they're doing is just naturally showing it off as we're enjoying people just walk. You know, when they come out of that that meeting with Al Pacino. The camera just slightly tilts up because they're in front of this cool old restaurant right. uh, a billboard. Then, you know, there's one scene of, of Brad Pitt driving and the, the camera's tilted up and you see like the old Kentucky Fried Chicken bucket go by <laughs> right. and just right. all these classic neon signs the capital, and all this stuff. Capitol Records building yeah, in the background. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, as you said, you just hang, you just swim in 1969. It's just mm-hmm. great. It's just, it, it, I, I can't get over how well... Uh, he captured it and how well you feel, you you feel like that you're, you know, you're not really there, but you're really seeing it. You know? and, and you were also saying before we, we recorded, we were just kind of casually talking, you, you said something and I want you to kind of get back into that about how the film stuff inside the film is, looks like what it would look oh, like. Oh, yeah, it's flawless. Yeah. So, so, I mean, I, you guys mentioned, uh, you know, that some of uh, Cliff is based on Burt Reynolds, but when we watched the FBI TV show. It's the actual FBI TV show that had Burt Reynolds, right. and they edit out, and uh, DiCaprio d- redoes his scene, so they edit it back in. Um, he chews the gum. Like, <laughs> yeah. Burt Reynolds is known for being gum chewer. Yep. If you watch that scene, DiCaprio's chewing the gum, and then Pitt has that great line where he says, the gum chewing is really strong <laughs> when they're watching it. I love that bit. <laughs> uh, but, but every time they cut to, um, you know, they when they cut to his movie, uh, The 16 Fingers of McCluskey, it's in perfect Panavision from the time, you know, right. widescreen, uh, kind of overwrought color. Um, you know, when they cut to the TV shows, it's the perfect four by three aspect ratio. Um, I think Tarantino, he's tipping his, his hat a little too much in that when Pacino's like, well, I only watched your movie in 35 millimeter and then I only watched your TV show <laughs> in 16 millimeter. Right. I'm like, all right, Tarantino. Mm-hmm. But still, <laughs> it's it's all flawless. You know, even all the way to the end, the, um, the faux uh, uh, cigarette, Add, you know, it's it's just dead on. You know, this is literally, if except for the fact that it's not curved and in shitty, uh, you know, that it was coming over some rabbit ear antennas. Like everything is just perfect. Yeah. It's exactly what you would have saw on TV, and and a lot of that is, you know, stuff. You know, you saw the opening to Mannix uh, uh, when we we're in Cliff's trailer, and you know, the, obviously that's the real opening to Mannix and things like that. So mm-hmm. it's it's that that uh, stick of detail is just amazing. Yeah, the de- that's that's probably the best way to put it, the detail. Yeah. The attention to detail in this movie, right, Manster, is like it's, it's incredible. incredible. And some of it, it it's not even timely accurate, you know, like you said the Playboy Mansion and the party um that didn't even open until after these murders. Right. But it doesn't matter. That's actually None the of- real Playboy Mansion too. Yeah. Hefner had sold it to a private owner before he died and they went to the guy and said, "Look, we want to film here." And it was being renovated, but he let them do what they had to do to deck it out to look as close to 69 as possible. And they filmed there. Yeah. 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 Incredible. The, the whole thing, man, this movie, this, I, I sat it's on fantastic. this, I slept on this movie yeah. way and, too and, long. And to think about even again, we go into detail. So we follow Roman and Sharon, you know, through, through Hollywood to the playboy mansion out through the grotto, everybody's partying. And then we get a recreation of Steve McQueen just to give us plot points. Right. Like right. In, in a smaller movie, you know, ju- you would just, that would have been thrown away. Mm-hmm. 
by two people standing in front of a wall or window, maybe, you know, and, and just saying, hey, you know, they used to date and now she's dating him or whatever. But, you know, he places it in such a massive, memorable place. And, and not just that, but he gets Damian Lewis, who's not like a, you know, right. he's not he's not a huge star, but right. he's, he's no slouch. He's no slouch to do one scene. You know, like, like, like there's a lot of people in this movie that just like kind yeah. of because you got a feeling that the, a lot of the people probably like, first of all, want to be in a Tarantino movie, yeah. but are willing to be a part of this whole this whole vision. Uh, I watched the deleted scenes and one of the deleted scenes is a different Red Apple cigarette ad. And at the very end, it's got James Marston, who played you know, right. Cyclops. And, yeah. you know, he's been in a bunch of stuff. He plays Burt Reynolds in a red apple ad uh-huh. so you you get these people that were willing to do like these really, yeah, really much smaller things. Ad, you know things margot robbie she's you know with, with harley quinn you know she's a star you and know what i was wishing i found myself wishing that that theater ticket girl yeah was harley quinn smith talking to harley quinn oh <laughs> yeah that would have been kind of cool yeah, yeah yeah and well that's another one the i guess the the camera she uses is wrong in that yeah. scene, but who cares about any of that stuff? Because right. because so many of the details. He paid attention are right. to detail without worrying about the details. Yeah, yeah. So let's get let's get into a little bit uh, towards the end where this movie takes kind of a kind of a left turn, right? Like we know that this is moving towards what is supposed to be Sharon Tate's murder, right? Right. They don't get murdered. All right, we'll spoil that right now. This is a revisionist history. Movie. Well, he remember he goes to. Italy and then comes back. Then it goes to like a narration part. Right. But but just getting past that. Like yeah. they leave for a while. They come back from Italy. And now we're on the day. Okay. Right. We've gotten to the day. Now he's married. He's married. He has the Italian bride. Uh, he can't hire. He can't uh, afford Cliff anymore. And they're going out for one last night. And this happens to be the night of the murders. How do you feel, Mike, about when you take something as serious or i guess i don't know what like a true thing like that like i know in inglorious bastards hitler gets killed in a, you know obviously much different way than he died in, in real yeah in real life and i know how that can be looked at like probably from a standpoint of like almost like a like a, a revenge fantasy for many yeah, people like for many people right? pumping yeah okay I, but 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 still in inglorious bastards you know millions of jewish people died at his hands how do you feel about a real murder kind of being changed in a film? I th- I thought it was fun and bec- and I mean fun in the sense that if you if you you know from on my first watch, you know, I knew the background and I knew what we were leading to and I'm watching this flawless recreation of 69 and if we continue that and I I was literally afraid because I'm like I don't want to watch a pregnant woman get stabbed 17 times. Yeah. yeah. And then to take her blood and write pigs on the wall, you know, like, I'm like, that's, I was literally in the back of my head. I'm like, man, I I don't, Don't I know that. I know that's what happened, but I'm like, boy, do I not want to see that as the end of this movie? Especially when we've, especially in this movie universe, when we've really driven it home that Sharon Tate is like this fucking rainbow of like life. Yeah. Right? I mean, you wouldn't want to see it anyways, but he does a good job. You know, I think I, I talked about the, the jaunt uh, to the bookstore in the, in the movie theater is superfluous, but uh, to your point, it, it really, we like her, right. You know, and she, she's happy that people are laughing or whatever. And they liked that you know, they liked her Kung Fu in the end and whatever. So we got to know her and, and we like her. So I was, I was dreading it. And then when it was a change, uh, I, I thought it was great. And I even I even thought it was great because he just does it all in humor. Right. So 
they were going to kill Sharon Tate, but then uh, a wasted DiCaprio with a picture of margaritas. <laughs> it's like, get God out damn of here, goddamn hippies. Get this mechanical asshole <laughs> off my road. Yeah. Right. We're just got to turn around. Drive it backwards. <laughs> and he's drinking the margarita yeah, right, right, right out of the pitcher in his, in his robe. In his robe. Yeah, it was yeah. great. So, I mean, they started with that. You get a hint because, you know, uh, Tarantino cuts to Tex cocking, uh, uh, you know, his 44. Right. But then it doesn't happen. And then it makes sense that because he was a dick to them that they, they would come you know, would come to right, his change house. Your mind. Let's, yeah, let's, let's kill the get people these that guys taught us to murder first. Yeah. yeah. Well, they recognize who he is. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. was Rick Dalton. I had a lunchbox with him. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. My favorite lunchbox. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I thought it, I thought it was a nice change, and I thought that whole you know they played it with a lot of humor. Obviously, there's a lot of, but the, you know that's Tarantino. There's a lot of kind of I wouldn't call it gore, but you oh, know there's ultra, a lot of ultra violence. Yeah. There's a lot yes. of violence. There's a lot of violence. Yeah. So um, so just to set this up a little bit here, they get back from a night out. Yeah, two separate nights out. Sharon Tate is out with her friend Jay Sebring and her two other friends. And Kurt Russell's narrating all this part. Right. right? He's yep. telling you at 8.03, they go to this restaurant. And at 9 o'clock, Cliff and uh, and uh, Rick go to this restaurant. And they all kind of end up back at their neighborly houses at a certain point. And Cliff and Rick are, you know, just chilling out. Rick is making this, like, big fucking pitcher of margaritas. He's going to go float in the pool. Just for himself. <laughs> yep. Listening to his music on his giant headphones, his 60s headphones. And Cliff decides he had purchased a acid dip cigarette <laughs> uh, months before. Which, 50%. by the way, the girl, the girl that sold it to him uh, was the little girl daughter from Kill Bill Volume 2. Uh, grown up. Excellent. Same All actress. Right. Um, he, so he smokes this. He's there. The new Italian bride that Rick has is sleeping in the back room. Brandy the Pitbull, very important that you know she's there, is also at the house. As Mike said, the Manson family decide that they're going to divert from killing Sharon Tate, uh, as Charles Manson had sent them to go do. And they're going to kill Rick Dalton and maybe whoever else is in the house because right. he treated them like assholes. Uh, so they break into the house. We know from watching the movie that Cliff is probably a dangerous guy, mm -hmm. right? Again, probably killed his wife. We don't know, but it's it's very much out there. Beat the shit out of Clem. You know, he's he doesn't oh, yeah. seem like a guy to fuck with. He's high on this acid dip cigarette. They come into the house and we have this great moment of comedy, right? Where they're just like, you know, hey, I recognize. He recognizes them from six months earlier at the Spawn Ranch. Well, he's just like, he's so interested. Like the guy comes in and points his 44 at him and he stands there like a mirror image and just points his finger back at him. Yeah. Well, it's because he's tripping. He, oh, he's he even, tripping. Said, oh, he yeah. even says, are you, are you real? real? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm as real as a donut, you motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> So they, they, they get this moment and uh, they kind of joke that that's like the Mexican standoff of the movie is is uh, is Tex with his real gun and and, and Cliff with his finger with his finger gun. at him <laughs> and uh, and then it gets serious yeah right it gets very serious and uh, Tex is with two of the girls it just it's a melee because Cliff lets it go as far as it's gonna go. And then when he decides that there's real danger, he six brain. Well, as soon as he hears the gun cocking, he hears the gun cocking, and he make he causes. Oh, which we didn't talk about earlier, obviously, because they have to show you how this dog works with the dog food and. Oh and, right, right, yeah. right. So, fucking, so all of this ending though, this is this is um, just great movie making because there's that old there's an old play. Uh, uh, Acronism that you have to if you see a gun on the stage then yeah, it has check to go off, off. Flamethrower. Yeah, the checkoffs. <laughs> yeah, but I mean everything's coming together here because you know uh, 
we learn, we, we see the dog, you know, that the dog can kick ass and that uh, Cliff can control her like crazy. Yeah. We saw her getting acid dipped cigarette. We saw that uh, Leo knows how to use a flamethrower for real. We see everything. <laughs> Another great, I, I thought that was the greatest line to just show what an asshole he was right up front when he does that. He uses the flamethrower and he's like, man, could we do something about the heat? Yeah. And the guy's because like, it's Rick, a flamethrower. Flame <laughs> you, you know what's actually even better than that? I was reading it today. That was Leonardo DiCaprio's real reaction. That's awesome. And the guy <laughs> said, and Rick, real... it's a... So that was him just That's going, perfect. can we do something about the heat? Not yeah. in, in character. Because <laughs> as an actor, I think, oh, well, we could tone this down, yeah, right? You yeah. figure, it's yeah. a fucking flamethrower. You can't tone down the heat. <laughs> it's a fucking flamethrower. <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, it just just the movie making here, just he's he's bringing everything together. You know, on top of the fact that we're we've been working towards... You know, we showed the Manson people, and we know they're coming. We know that they're gonna, you know, go to the, to this house, and everything's just here. And then it just it just lets loose. And we talked about like as we do in all these movies, we talk about the soundtrack is great in this movie. Oh. All the all the great '60s stuff, and there's so much happening in this last scene that it's almost like a like like a cacophony of of different noises like hitting you because you have the dog noises, right? He mm -hmm. sticks the dog on them and the dog immediately fucking incapacitates Tex the by bone crunching, attacking him, crunching his arm, going for the fucking balls. Oh, Meanwhile, on. on the radio, you've got keep me hanging on playing. Yeah. That's going on. Cliff is high as fuck. So he's like, kind of like in control sort of still, laughing, but, but he's, he's yeah. like, yeah, he's like spaced out. He ends up kind of dealing with the redheaded girl until she stabs him. And then he fucking... Well, before that, doesn't the girl run after him The girl with, with a knife? The girl runs after him. Dog, and, dog food can right in the face. Oh, he fucking breaks yeah. her nose with the oh, dog food that can. That was brutal. That girl, now you've got that girl in this whole scene screaming at the top of her lungs. Yeah, say that, yeah just the entire time. Just She's screaming. Screaming like a crazy person. And you can't blame her. No. Like she gets the dog food like can 60, in the face. 60 mile an hour dog food right yeah. in your face. Yeah. It's just, it's all this shit going down at once. Uh, Cliff gets stabbed in the hip, and then he fucking really kills the fuck out of the redheaded oh. girl. He slams her face into every, every surface, surface yeah. in that house. <laughs> the, the phone, the the mantle place. Um, meanwhile, the girl who's been attacked by the dog and the can of the face, she jumps and bursts through right, the, the, uh, French the, doors. The, the, the French doors. She's got glass in her eyes. Yeah. She ends up falling in, into the pool <laughs> that Rick is floating in the pool. With the 44 still in her hand, right? Right. She's shooting in the air. He's in the pool. He freaks out. What does he go get? His flamethrower. Yeah. He goes into the into the into the garage and gets his flamethrower. And and that's it's greatly blocked off too because he you know he's just wasted in the pool and he's like because he didn't he doesn't hear What's all the right? stuff's he's going got on that inside. Sixty headphones. Yeah, because she she comes out and he's flipping out. He drops his big thing of margaritas and then he goes out of frame for a minute. Yep. So you don't know what's coming, and then he just comes out and just backpack on, yeah, flamethrower like, across his chest. Yeah, this is badass. Absolutely oh. terminates her. Absolutely <laughs> terminates her. Yeah. So, so I mean, I think this, like you talked about, uh, Inglorious Bastards. Um, you know, it's kind of the idea of of, of uh, Django Unchained. You know, him that he breaks out and gets revenge. But I think this was the the perfect version of that idea because you had. Like I said, or at least I did. I had the dread that I don't really want to watch pregnant women get stabbed. Then it changes, you know, starting by humor because mm -hmm. because DiCaprio's character is wasted and yelling at hippies. You you are cheering on because I mean this is the fucking Manson family, so fuck them. Yeah, kill, right. you know, fuck kill them all. Kill them yeah. all. 
And then, it, you know, and then it's this just completely over the top, you know, in the end with the flamethrower. And then it just chills out and it's, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, it's okay. You know, then when, then we eventually pan over and we get uh, JC bring and, and Sharon Tate again. And, and they, yeah, they meet up with Rick. Yep. And they have this conversation. And, hey, why don't you, you know, it's, it's his, he's lived next to them for six or seven months and this is their first contact. Yep. And the night ends differently. And again, this is a fairy tale, so it's okay. I, I guess I asked the question because when I first, I did know this, before I saw this movie, I had heard that it ended with them not getting killed. And I thought, at first, I thought, that's a fine line. That could be tasteless or that could be done really well. It's done really well. Really it's, well. It's done really well. And I, I went opening night. And so I, did, I didn't know. And I was purposely, you know, I didn't. If I really, really know I'm going to love a movie or, or that I want to see a movie, I don't know I'm going to love it. But I just cut myself off. I watch a couple trailers and I just stop because right. I don't want to ruin it. Yeah, I don't know this. I didn't mean I think maybe someone told me or, you know, because, yeah. again, it took me two years to see this fucking well, thing. Well, so. of course. Yes. Yeah. So, but yeah, I think I think it's a great turnaround. I think it's a great turnaround. It breaks attention. You got a lot of dark humor. You know, a lot of people don't like the dark humor. Like I know... My ex-mother-in-law, uh, she was over when we watched The Hateful Eight, and at the end, when it was like literally a bloodbath, yeah. she was like, what? I'm out of here, you know? <laughs> and this is very similar as well, you know? Uh, before that, you know, Cliff's a badass, but, it, it, you know, his fight with, with Bruce Lee and then his fight with the guys at Spawn Ranch is just fist fights. You know, the brutal, whatever. Right. But, right. You know, you're not ki- literally killing people. We but, see something But else. what makes this okay is you're killing the Manson family. Right. So it's okay, right? M- yeah. Much, much like the, much like when uh, the bear Jew and uh, and Omar shoot the fuck out of Hitler, oh, and he, yeah. he, he looks like he looks like a right. muppet. The fist pumping moment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's it's you know you're you're gonna root for that. Yeah. Because you wish, unfortunately, it didn't happen, but you wish Sharon Tate and Sebring and all of them had survived this. You know. Yeah. They but, did but, not. But even throughout that movie, like, you know, everybody's down for them to kill Nazis all day long. Right. You know, mm-hmm. it's like yeah, kill them all. All right. So that's basically Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Manster. Why don't we talk about some uh, Tarantino-isms? Then we'll go into the box office real quick. Uh, we got some award stuff. We'll rate it, and then we'll talk about the book and some of the stuff that Mike uh, read in the book that All might right. uh, give us some clues into these characters. All right, so guess what? We don't have a trunk scene in this one. No, you're right. No trunk scene. Uh, so let's move on to bare feet. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. uh, so here you got Cliff's White in the boat, Sharon Tate watching in the movie theater. Uh, pussy cat with her feet on the freaking windshield in the car. Every single person in that hippie house in George Spawn's house when they first go into there, uh, he's really making up for the lack of bare feet in Hateful Eight. So uh, <laughs> it's it, it, you know, except for the fact that he has to stick them in the camera. It it, it makes sense that hippies don't have their shoes on. Yeah, yeah right. but I'm like, do you have to stick it in the camera? Yeah, uh, he likes feet. I know. Uh, record player close up. Jay Sebring uh, playing records uh, towards the end of the movie there when the murders are going to go down. Uh, dancing scene. Lots of dancing, Playboy Mansion, and uh, she's always dancing, Sharon Tate, it seems. She's, yeah, she's always dancing. She's happy. Yep. Uh, the black and white scene. Uh, the very beginning of the movie, there there's an interview with the two Bounty Law guys. The diner scene. Uh, Rick and Marvin in the bar. Yep. Uh, the car scene. Every everybody going everywhere in this movie yeah. is done in a car. A lot of, Lots like of Mike said a lot of car shit. Yeah, yeah. That scene I just referred to, um, the black and white scene with with Dalton and Cliff, uh, that was shot in the same scene where uh, in Inglorious Bastards, where he takes Django and gets the bounty in the town. 
Wait a minute. You said Inglorious Bastards in Django. Yeah. What? Uh, uh, I'm not. Oh, sorry. you I'm mean sorry. you mean in uh, Django B- Bounty Law? The scene in Bounty Law. Okay. Where they were filming on the steps of that porch. Oh, yep. okay. Black and white. Yeah, yeah. It's the same scene in Django, not in Glorious Bastards. Same scene, same place in Django, where Django and King Schultz go. Oh, to and then shoot the sheriff. Okay, oh, yeah, okay. Same, okay. same place, same exact. Place. Well, it was filmed. I don't remember the name of it, but it was a filmed on like a yeah, back, Mel- it was Melody a, it was, Ranch. Yeah, it was a ranch or like a back. Uh, what do you want to call it? It's a back lot western. Yep. You know, lot. Uh, comic books. Uh, when you go into Cliff's trailer, you see a bunch of comic books. Um, you had. The Reservoir Dogs scene with the, all the guys walking together, you get the same thing with the Manson girls all walking. Yep. Mm-hmm. Getting their um, pickles. The Red Apple Cigarettes, obviously Cliff smokes them, and then you get the advert in, in the end with Rick Dalton, and I, then I guess with uh, James Marsden, right? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, big, big Kahuna Burgers appear on a billboard. Uh, you already talked about Antonio Margariti. Margariti. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we get some new brands. So I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe these will continue in his next movie. Um, the Chattanooga Beer, which is a new brand. And we'll get to it now. The dog food. Mm. All right. It's called Wolf's Tooth Dog Food. What was it? Like, <laughs> what did it say? Dog food for mean dogs? Yes. It said dog <laughs> food for mean dogs. And you've got um, a, a variety of flavors there. So you have uh, the yellow can is rat flavored. Yep. <laughs> the blue can is bird flavored. The greenish can is raccoon flavored, and there's a brown can you can see in the cabinet that's lizard flavored. Lizard. <laughs> yeah. There's also orange, but it's turned, so you can't see. You don't what know what it is. That is. No. If you watch the um, deleted scenes and extras from the uh, Blu-ray, there is a commercial for Old Chattanooga beer. Okay. And it is narrated by Walton Goggins. Oh, it's, nice. It's meant to seem like you know, Old Chattanooga. He's like talking like that, and it's like. You know, brewed since 1856, and then the same. You know, it's just, it's just, it looks like a commercial. It doesn't necessarily look like it's an older commercial, right? But it looks like it's just a commercial for old Chattanooga beer. Yeah, yep. yeah. So maybe we'll see it in his tenth film. All right. So that's some Tarantinoisms. Uh, how did this thing do in the box office, Lloyd? This is like a three-hour movie in the summer. Yeah, that's a so, tough sell. That's a tough sell. Like I said, ninety to ninety-six billion dollar budget uh, made forty-one million in its opening weekend. Uh, one hundred forty-two point five domestic and three hundred seventy-four worldwide. Uh, so let me give you the that weekend. So number five was Crawl, the alligator movie. I saw that's that in the theaters. It's I enjoyed solid. that. I, I enjoyed yeah, that it's movie. Amusing. It's amusing. Yep. Uh, number three. Uh, number four was Toy Story four. I haven't seen it. Yeah, um, Spider-Man: Far From Home, which I've never seen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this came in at number two, Once a Time in Hollywood, and number one that week was The Lion King. Oh, the live action, the one. live action. Yeah, <laughs> you know this box office. I mean, it's not it's not terrible by any means. It made the money back, but this is a lot of the big movie heads point out that this is the decline, uh, the continuing decline of our our movie. Our love of movies and caring that that movies are are well made and not just product or remakes or product. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you know, here's somebody that's hand, you know, a, a great director that's handcrafting a movie and bar- people barely go see it. But any any superhero movie, even ones that suck, like, oh, they, you know, they the go, see the, they go they, see the live action Lion King. Yeah, you know, who the fuck gave a fuck about that? No, it seemed like nobody did, but it beat this out. You know, right. yeah, it's just <clears throat> it's interesting. Uh, so on the year that year, uh, number 10 was Jumanji, The Next Level, $800 million. Number 9, Aladdin. Number 8, Toy Story 4. 
Number seven, Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker. Uh, number six, Joker. Five, Captain Marvel. Four, Spider-Man Far From Home. Three, Frozen 2. Two, The Lion King. And number one, Avengers Endgame. Rough year. Yeah, rough, rough year. year for the movies. Yeah. Um, so, I'll give you three movies and tell me what order. Uh, I'll start with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, 1917, and Shazam. Defer to Officer Mike. <laughs> So I'm going to say 1917 third. And this is worldwide, by the way. Once Upon a Time second, and then Shazam that made more money of all three. Are you like in Mensa or something? <laughs> you get it right every time. He's good. He's good at this game. Yeah. yeah. And not by that much. So Shazam was $365 million. Once Upon a Time, 374 1917 $384. All right, and did you say there were some awards that this thing uh, garnered? Let's do that real quick, and then we'll get into the ratings. Yeah, let's do that. So it's nominated for several, I think 10. Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Leo. Uh, Best Supporting Actor, Brad. Best Original Screenplay, Cinematography, Costume Design, Production Design, Sound Editing, and Sound Mixing. It only won two. Uh, Best Supporting Actor, Brad Pitt. And best production design, Barbara Ling and Nancy Haig. Did Pitt won the Oscar for this, or this is a Screen Guild Award? No, uh, Academy Award. Really? I didn't know he won the Oscar for this. That's what I got. That's okay. what I, that's what I, uh, I don't pay attention to that stuff. So yeah, I'll me neither. I, I, that's news to me. I mean, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm saying I, I pay so little attention to that that I didn't know he did. That's awesome because he's great in this. Yeah. All right. Let's rate it. Let's talk about uh, this is a. On the QT, but we go pine comic scale, which is zero to five, quarter scale optional. Let's start with our guest tonight, Officer Mike Simonetta from Connecticut. I want to know what he what he thinks. Yeah, well, <laughs> this is going to be a change for me because everybody's used to me shitting on everything. But <laughs> I absolutely, I absolutely love this movie. I think it's it's the culmination of Tarantino working up to this. You know, it's such in his wheelhouse, recreating this time period and and you know talking about films because everybody knows how much he loves them. I'm going to go 4.8. Wow. 4.75? Oh, we got to go on quarter scale? Quarter, quarter scale. 4.75 then. Okay. Oh, I'm not trying to bust balls, but I yeah. wanted to see if that would push you to a five. Okay. No, or... it's it's not flawless. Okay. But it's damn close. Okay. I'll go next. I really love this movie. All right. Out of all the movies we've done, I think this is fitting that it's the last one. Mm-hmm. Because I don't, I'm trying to be respectful and keep this to a short podcast. And I think we've hopped around. I think we've talked a good amount about the stuff we want to talk about. But I feel like if we were just sitting around the table talking, we could talk about this for, for a couple hours, right? Oh, I, easy. Very easily. So I'm trying, trying to think of the audience out there as well. Didn't watch this till a couple months ago. I've watched it twice in the last two months. Obviously, the second one for this, 4.5. 4.5. And I'm going to say 4.5 with the ability to grow up to a 4.75. Okay. All right. I think a little bit more, uh, another viewing might get me there. If it gets enough blood in it. Four point seven five. Yeah, it's just a little bit more. Now it's it's just. Had you watched it when it came out, and then you came back now, I think you probably have even more appreciation. I probably I probably would. I probably would. I just like I said, I just watched this the other night, and I'm already like I could watch this again in a few months. I just I kind of mentioned it before, and it's kind of hard for me to vocalize, but I feel like it's like a perfect hang movie. Like you just watch it, and you just like let go, and you're involved in it, but you also just feel like you're kind of there with the characters. There's some movies that do that very well. There's some movies that are great movies that you that you don't feel that way. You just you feel like okay, I'm watching something yeah, and I'm I'm immersed in this. But there's something about this movie that feels very familiar, and 
you know, you like these characters and you want to kind of see them. You don't want to see Sharon Tate murdered. You kind of want to see Rick Dalton, like, do well. Right. You, you kind of want to see all this kind of stuff. And you kind of want to see the Manson family get uh, fucking hit in the face with a can uh, at 60 miles an hour. <laughs> and, uh, you know, flamethrowered in a fucking pool, yeah. which is fucking awesome. Yeah. But, uh, all right, Manster, what do you give it? All right. So, yeah, it's got it's got everything. You know, he's really stepped his game up. Uh, you know, from the first one to this one, it's got humor, drama, ridiculous situations, great performances, and the music is spot on. It's yeah. so good. Uh, all the staples of a great Tarantino movie. Um, it weaves facts and fiction together uh, really well. I'm so glad uh, they didn't end in the murder of, of Tate and, and that stuff. Um, it's complex and layered, and it demands multiple viewings. I've seen it three times. I did not see it in the movie theater. But I saw it last year, and I've watched it twice. You know, this year in preparation for this, um, and it follows the old, you know, Chekhov's flamethrower rule: if you yes. show it in the beginning, you got to use it in the end. Yep. yep. Um, I've given two movies a five. This one, four point seven five. Wait, so you gave two Tarantino movies five? I gave Inglorious Bastards and Pulp Fiction five because because reasons. I gave Re- I gave Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction fives. Yeah. Um, but- and this so, one, but you, and you guys are holding back on this, huh? Only because, only because, and anybody who listens to the Planet Comics knows, I fell asleep a little bit oh. in this movie. This a, well, but if you watch it three times, you've seen it fully exactly. at least once. Exactly, I've seen yeah, it yeah. fully, of but, course. But you know, we talked but, about this a little. It's, and I know, I know, I know you fell asleep. Slightly boring parts. I'm not saying it's a boring movie at all. See, I don't think there's anything boring. But in this there's movie. parts where you might zone out. I I, I found because this is a long movie. Yeah, uh, you know it's three hours. He wanted it what four? That was his it, original, original cut. cut was four. Yeah, yeah uh, but it it goes by for me sometimes. For, you know when things are you know even when there's a lot of action like you know the last Avengers like I I looked at I don't own a watch but you know I was looking at my phone like Jesus when are we gonna end this thing and I don't feel that way about this. I yeah. agree. I, I oh I'm gonna go back and watch it again probably before the end of the year. Yeah, I don't find anything boring in this one, but I still go four point five. Um, I really, really, really fucking enjoy this, but I also feel like, again, this can go up. So mm-hmm. right now I'm feeling 4.5. Mm-hmm. All right. Me and Mike are right on and you're right there. Right too. there. All right. Let's, fin- let's finish this off. Let's finish on the QT off. Thank you again for everybody that's listened. Thank you again to all of our wonderful guests, but let's do a little addendum to this and just talk to Mike real quick about some of the stuff you learned in the movie, or I'm sorry, you learned in the book. That came out uh, two years after the movie came out, which is right now in our time. Yep, it just came out. So first off, uh, on the Brett Easton Ellis podcast, uh, Quentin Tarantino explained his how he does things. And he actually says that he writes these screenplays as as novels, as books. So he, he mm-hmm. writes it out as he goes along. And he said there's a lot more detail. It's not – they're not pure screenplays of, you know, just action, right. light here, door mm-hmm. opens, et cetera. And of this, he said, uh, this novel is a, a complete rethinking of the movie. So, you know, we get a lot of differences. We get a lot of, a lot more details. Actually, I shouldn't say a lot of differences, just some slight differences, but a lot of different details. And this really takes a deep dive into Cliff. So, right. you know, when you watch the movie, as, as we talked about, Cliff is a bit of a cipher. Did, did he kill his wife? Uh, you know, how is he, how, how can he be such a badass that he beats Bruce Lee, you know, other things like that. Uh, some bullet points. Um, there's a few scene changes. Just, I'll just start off like the opening scene with Pacino. Uh, that actually takes place in an office building. 
I think it's better to be at a bar, but you know, mm-hmm. it's it right. was in his office because he's an agent. Cliff is waiting in the uh, in the front room with the secretary. He starts hitting on the secretary, and then you just get this weird tangent. Uh, again, this is just Tarantino going off, but where Cliff is just this crazy film buff, and he just it literally is like two pages of him listing all these movies he loves. Uh, biggest thing being he loves Toshiro Mifune, and he'll go see anything that that <laughs> Toshiro Mifune is in, which is which is again, it doesn't seem like Cliff would be a deep. Uh, uh, Sounds like he's writing himself. Uh, yeah, you know, a deep, um, you know, foreign movie guy. But but that's what he had. Uh, very so three or four times in the book, they definitively say he killed his wife. Okay, uh, that's why I heard he killed his wife. Yeah. yeah so, in and then in a second, he, like, second he, he hits her with a harpoon gun and she like rips in half. Right. He's they, he explains it that he rips in half. He fe- he immediately feels bad about it, and the scene is that he holds her together. Uh, he calls the Coast Guard. He holds her together, but when they try to bring her on shore, her body falls apart and yeah. her guts fall out and she dies. Right. Oh, boy. But he feels bad about it, and he tells her he loves her and everything while he's holding her together. So, but, but he feels bad about it, but he doesn't feel bad about getting away with it, right? Like, No. So yeah. th- there's another point in there where they make a point that um, outside of the people he killed in the war, and, and they say that he supposedly killed uh, more Japanese uh, in the Pacific than anyone else. Uh, you know, that's just his legend here. But he killed three people, and he got away with it outside of that. So he definitely killed his wife, but he was regretful. So another point which kind of fills in is uh, on his own, we have this whole side story where he meets a guy, and the guy says, if you give me some money, we'll uh, go start a dog fighting." ring we're gonna buy a dog and start fighting the dog and that's the dog in the you know that we see in the movie which explains why the dog's such a vicious at a certain point the guy gets uh really greedy and he says let's go put her in another fight but she hasn't um healed yet from the last fight and cliff thinks this is terrible and he kills the guy drives him downtown here's a trunk scene throws him in the trunk of the car (laughs) he leaves him in la he gets away with that and then at another point, he killed a gangster, and he got away with that. So they definitively say he killed three people and got away with it. They say there's a lot of there's a lot more detail that Rick Dalton is a worse alcoholic than he's shown. Uh, there are scenes of him puking on himself, puking in his bed, and things like that. Well, I mean, real quick in the movie, the scene where he goes to the Lancer set in the beginning, and he's just coughing all over himself. Oh yeah, like uncontrollably. Terrible. Like that's a hard living dude. Yeah. 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 But uh, and then on top of that, they make a big point that he and another actor figure out that they're both bipolar and, Mm -hmm. you know, that they understand why they have problems, et cetera, because they're bipolar. And then uh, to go back, uh, you know, you probably heard it from these items, John, um, that the fight, he purposely picks the fight with Bruce Lee because he because uh stunt people hate bruce lee because supposedly bruce lee hits he they don't he doesn't pull punches and he hit the stunt men all the time right so he purposely picks that fight um another weird you know and, and this goes you know to tarantino uh maybe a third of the way in the novel uh they just throw in a side of how they're talking about rick is failing as an actor but then they say he kills a bunch of hippies and he becomes popular and he ends up on Johnny Carson and his 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 uh you know he, he gets more roles and things like that. Right. But it's it's just so weird because it's literally a third of the way through the movie and it's they just kind of throw that away. Yeah. But they don't they don't say it's the Manson family, but they do say that. 
Um, and, that, and that's kind of what we're left thinking at the end of the movie is that he's on the up, mm-hmm. you know, like, cause he, you know, now he's being introduced to Sharon Tate and, you know, like you kind of get the feeling that maybe this yeah, is like him. He's getting, on the rise. Again. He's on the rise now. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, those were the main differences. A lot, uh, you know, a lot more realism. Um, you know, Tarantino is trying to do some of his movie tricks in the in the book. Like, you know, we talked about, I talked about how they shot that scene and then um, uh, in uh, Lancer, you know, we see the whole uh, scene being shot and then uh, DiCaprio breaks because he doesn't know his line and all that. Um, in the book, they do an entire chapter that's the story of Lancer, but they just say it. You know, it's like you're reading a Western all of a sudden. And then you go to the next chapter and then, you know, he's uh, he's it's cut and they're all sitting on the set, et cetera. So yeah. he's trying to replicate it. Um, overall, it was it was interesting. I don't think he has a, you know, a future as a novelist. <laughs> like, this is great if you want more details, but I wouldn't suggest somebody just go read this. Right. I think okay. I think they'd be a bit lost. Right. Like, what's what's going on? You have to know the movie to read the book. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if you love it, go, you yeah. know, go you read like, it. There's more details. Like expanded universe stuff. Go read it. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was it was interesting, but and it's it's a weird thing, like you said, it is a long time after the release. Yeah, two years. Yeah, yeah, two years. And and it doesn't seem to make uh, you know because they've talked about. Uh, I say it doesn't seem to make sense because they talked about a four hour cut somewhere along the line. In, unless COVID pushed it back a year, unless yeah, COVID fucked maybe. everything up, yeah, COVID, you know, be. COVID fucked a lot up. So yeah, I mean, it just seems weird that he releases it and he's pushing this hard. But there's no, like, it's, it's not like, it, you know, now go get the new cut or, or, or the movie or whatever. But Master, our time is done here. It's done. It's done. We're, it's we're over. over. No more QT. We're no off the QT. Q- we're off the QT. Well, wait, you guys aren't going to do the four rooms? No. Right. Not as no. part of this. We're, we're retiring on this one. Maybe maybe <laughs> yeah. we'll do it over on our other podcast, Pine and Comics. If you've been listening to this one and you haven't heard of that one, 200 plus episodes. Yeah, you're doing something wrong. Yeah, head over there. Check it out. Pretty Please with Sugar on top. <laughs> Again, thank you to all of the listeners of On the QT. Thanks to Forgotten Entertainment for having us do this. Thanks to all of our guests, including you, Mr. Mike Simonetta, the sheriff of Pine and Comics. Thank you so much for, for coming <laughs> here and talking uh, talking up Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And uh, Lloyd, I guess, do you, do you want to say anything to the people out there before we go? Uh, Well, we're Pine of fucking comics. Hell yeah. See ya. See ya. <laughs>